Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Middle Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the music, movies, and culture of Generation X. What is up, Slackers, and welcome to another episode of the Stuck in the Middle Podcast. I am your host, Jason Eck, and when I was looking at topics for this week, I had a couple of different ideas because I have a list of topics that I can go through and kind of decide, okay, I can do this, I can do that. And one of the things that I was thinking about was MTV because one of the things that I talked about last week when I was going through the different Gen X tropes is it talked about how Gen Xers want music on their MTV. And It just got me thinking about the days of music television, the earliest videos, but also some of the cultural phenomena that came out of that. So I began thinking about a particular music video, which gave birth to this episode, and that is Thriller by Michael Jackson. The Thriller video was about as groundbreaking as you could imagine. So for anyone who doesn't know, the the video for Thriller, so you already had this, this huge phenomenon of a record, but the music video was directed by John Landis, a major Hollywood director. So this was something that was new, where you're actually seeing a major player in Hollywood reducing themselves, if you will, to a a short format that's a music video. However, I think it goes to show just the, the drawing power of Michael Jackson that he could get a director like John Landis to create something. And they uh, ended up, uh, I guess, collaborating on a number of different projects, including Michael's Captain EO project, which was a Disney exclusive. But I just started thinking about Michael and how my dad, the rock guy, was super enthusiastic about that video. And in part because Michael Jackson was already famous for 20 years at this point and still a very young man in his 20s. Um, well, actually, I guess at this point he's probably in his 30s, but nevertheless, he's still very, very young in the business and he has a whole career ahead of him. So, I really decided, okay, we're going to talk about Michael Jackson because his story in and of itself is quite amazing. Uh, I guess in part because of how tragic it was. Whenever you have an artist of that stature, I think it's almost 
a given that there's there's something behind it or, or driving it that is from a very deep place. I don't think any great art is created without pain. I'm sure there are artists out there who are super positive all the time that, that break this mold. I'm, I'm certain of it. People who don't have a care in the world and kudos to them. But Michael Jackson was a very troubled soul. So Michael Jackson, Michael Joseph Jackson. So Joseph uh, is his middle name is the name of his father, Joe, which, of course, they had a a challenging relationship. But Michael was born August 29th, August 29th, 1958. And he is described as a singer, songwriter, dancer and philanthropist. And he was dubbed the king of pop. So this is where I was mentioning my dad. So when Thriller came out in 1982 was the record. And then December 2nd, 1983, Friday, December 2nd. So I had visitation with my dad on Wednesdays and alternating weekends. So December 2nd, 1983, I was with my dad. And that's when the, the, the music video for Thriller came out. But what, what got me thinking was, he's not a pop fan. Like, he's a rock guy. Like, my dad listened to Skinnerd and The Doors and Sabbath and Zeppelin and The Beatles and The Stones. That kind of stuff. Very rarely did he listen to contemporary music. Now, contemporary... You know, bands like The Cars kind of bridge that gap between, you know, 70s and 80s. They became bigger in, in the 80s. And I do believe that he really was enthusiastic about Appetite for Destruction, that first Guns N' Roses record. However, being that he was born in 1955, my dad's music would have been formed by things that were on the Ed Sullivan show or the various variety shows. So by the time we got to Thriller, the reason that I think my dad was so fascinated by it was he was also a movie buff and you have this John Landis connection, but he would have listened to Michael as part of the Jackson five. So my mom and my dad, but my mom in particular, so obviously they were, you know, uh, dating in their teens had all the Jackson five 45s. They were a huge force. So it's interesting how it kind of bridged the gap generationally, where he's like, oh man, I've been listening to, to Michael Jackson since he was a kid. And that was like a very real thing. And, and just as an aside, you did have some royal families of entertainment. So not just the Jacksons, you also had the Osmonds. And then one that kind of gets forgotten and I just remember this very clearly as, as a kid, the Mandrell sisters. Um, so, so there were these families that were very, very popular due to television exposure. So that, that relationship between TV and music has been in place pretty much forever. You know, everyone talks about the Beatles first, you know, being on the Ed Sullivan show and how that changed everything or how when Elvis was on TV, this was scandalous because of the way that he danced and you could only go ahead 
and record him from the waist up because all those gyrations that he was doing was taboo at the time, things that you couldn't do on TV. And if you go back and you think about it, you know, um, Lucy and Ricky Ricardo couldn't share a bed, even though they were a married couple. So you couldn't film them in the same bed on TV. So they had the two single beds. Little bit of a, 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 a diversion into early television. Uh, so getting back into, into Michael Jackson. So Michael made his professional debut. Yeah, so it was 20 years. So uh, in 1964, in 1964, he made his debut with his older brothers, Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, and Marlon, uh, as members of the Jackson Five, later known as the Jacksons, when they did that big reunion tour. And, I mean, if you think about the Jackson Five, their discography and their number of singles. So, um, they signed to Motown, where they were the first group to debut with four consecutive number one hits on the Billboard Hot 100 chart with the songs I Want You Back, ABC, The Love You Save, and I'll Be There. I mean, come on. Come on. And they're they're all literally just kids. Just kids. And then, you know, they had their solo records, and then they did that victory tour where they all came back together. But if you think about it, 1964... They first debut, and they had been in the public eye from just the the onset of childhood and the the kind of trials and tribulations. And anyone who's either you know read about the the family, uh, watched the miniseries, which was fantastic, that delved into their background. This was one of those scenarios where, you know, they talk about the, you know, the soccer moms or the the stage moms, the dance moms, right? That's become kind of a, a theme. And gosh, there's been a ton of reality shows about this, right? Can you imagine the reality show that would have gone on behind the scenes here? Because Joe Jackson was driving this ship. <clears throat> Excuse me. And working his kids exceptionally hard because at this point, they became a commodity. They became an asset. And the more successful the boys were, the more successful the family was. And it's like any scenario, like when you become the breadwinner for your family, that becomes a, a burden that you, you carry. Now, not a, a bad burden if you're an adult like myself who has a family. I, I'm supposed to, you know do my part to provide but the kids were the ones providing and if they missed a note if they missed a dance move if they did one thing wrong they were punished for it now i don't think uh, you know in in 2022 we can say allegedly i think there was enough first-hand accounts that this was an incredibly abusive situation now I'm sure, like anything else with, with family dynamics, there was a certain amount of, I don't know, how do you, how do you put it? You, you, you know, you've achieved this amazing amount of fame and success, and all of that is positive, yet behind the scenes, you have all this pain. So as I'm talking about the, the, the pain that goes behind artistry, all of this became 
I think, a driving force for the whole family, and most specifically, Michael, throughout his life. Because how could it not? A, you're in the public eye, and then behind the scenes, you're in a very challenging environment, one where abuse is prevalent. Nevertheless, the Jacksons had Jackson mania. Jackson mania. Um, let's see, they were the, uh, they were an average age of 12 when they turned professional and were arguably the original boy band. Thousands of fans waited for the Jackson 5 wherever they went, and they had to be escorted by the police. During the height of Jackson mania, crowds would pile up on top of each other just to get a closer look. And early footage shows young girls climbing over seats to get closer while police try to control the situation. The Jackson 5 performed at the Forum in California in 1970, where they attracted 19,000 fans, and the concert grossed more than $105,000, which was a record at the time. So with an average age of 12 years old, they are selling out huge arenas and becoming a major force in entertainment. So of course, Motown, they became the main uh, marketing focus and the label capitalized, capitalized on the group's youth appeal licensing dozens of products, including the J5 Heart logo on Johnny Jackson's drum set. So think about this. So then they had album covers, stickers, posters, coloring books, board game, Saturday morning cartoon. I mean, they had every type of media. So it's interesting because uh, some of you may know uh, Howard Stern, right? And Howard Stern calls himself the king of all media. No, no, dude. This is why we talk about Michael Jackson being, you know, the king of pop. Well, really, he and his brothers had already been kings of every major type of, of media, product placement, everything that you could possibly imagine. They did that average age of 12. So, of course, with all of this, you, you have a, a limit. But uh, very quickly. So, fast forward. I'm a little kid. And my grandmother's basement, and my grandmother's basement was very typical of a 1960s home. It was a fairly modest ranch, um, a, a three-bedroom ranch, you know, uh, bath and a half, you know, bathroom and a half, and a basement. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the, the placement of the house couldn't have been worse in the fact that the front yard was basically a hill that ran all the water towards the house and foundation, which is not the, the best design that you can imagine. So the basement had to have sump pump and all that. So it always had this vaguely musty smell, right? And it's all the old dark wood paneling and all the built-in shelving and, you know, the built-in bar, uh, pool table and all that. But so I, I get this very visceral kind of response when I start listening to the Jackson 5 in my head because I can just place myself down in the basement looking through all these 45s and putting on a song like ABC. Like I can be transported there in, in, a, in an instant and the smells, the sights, the sounds 
I very much have this affection for that music, which would have been the music of my parents' youth. You know, these were, in many ways, uh, just from a from an age, uh, you know, perspective. I mean, they're all the same age, and when you see people your own age having this kind of success, I think it resonates with you far more because you know the Beatles would have been ten years older than everyone else. So yes, a phenomenon. At this point, Elvis would have been twenty years older than everybody else. So yes, those are the things that they also listened to, but the Jacksons were kids. I mean, that's why it's marketable nowadays when you have young people who are, you know, huge stars because the, the, the youth can see themselves in these artists. So Michael is famous from childhood. So eventually, Michael says, you know what? Uh, I can't do it anymore. So whether it was the relationship with Joe the relationship with his brothers. Nevertheless, it was time for him to break away. So they debuted in 1964. So in 1975, Michael decided that he needed to go off on his own. So he leaves the band, signs his own deal, signs his own deal. And let's see here. Um, Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I, for, I, I, I forgot about this. So, in 1977, in 1977, and, and I remember this clearly. So, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's when where it is in the timeline. Michael went to New York City to star as the Scarecrow in The Wiz, a musical film directed by Sidney Lumet, alongside Diana Ross, Nipsey Russell, and Ted Ross. The film was a box office failure, despite having a score arranged by Quincy Jones, who obviously his relationship with Michael was huge. However, I will tell you, I really enjoyed The Wiz because I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before, the, the Wizard of Oz in and of itself has a lot of scary moments, true scary moments. And uh, I talked about, you know, Return to Oz, which I, I haven't seen. I've only been told how horrific it is. And The Wiz took the elements that were already in uh, uh, the Frank Baum books and actually made it 
even more frightening and terrifying. You actually got, uh, you know, the crows because this is live action. And I, I think that the flying monkeys that were in the uh, original Wizard of Oz, you know, I don't know if that was special effects or, or whatever it was that it was probably, you know, uh, uh, little people in costumes. But, you know, it was just really, really scary. It was really scary and a really great approach. I loved it. I loved the Wiz. I, I, I have seen it so many times. Uh, I think it's great. But that was Michael really beginning to be a star on his own, even despite the, the movie being, you know, a dud. So here's what's interesting. In 1978, Jackson broke his nose during a dance routine. A rhinoplasty led to breathing difficulties that later affected his career. So a lot has been talked about, about Michael's appearance, right? And we'll certainly talk about that as we're going along, because with, with each successive project, album, film, whatever it was, you began to see these changes. And part of it is obviously his own self-image, in part due to the pressures that he felt even as a child about appearance and professionalism and being in the entertainment business. So it's interesting how the first nose surgery was uh, due to an actual incident, a broken nose, and how this may have set him down the path of significant and severe and, quite frankly, disfiguring plastic surgery. It's really tragic. It's really tragic when you think about it. So Jackson's fifth solo album, and I didn't realize, you know, how many records, uh, you know, he was he was doing at this point, um, because he was still writing songs for his brothers, for the Jacksons. But his fifth solo album, Off the Wall, in 1979, established him as a solo performer and helped him move from the bubblegum pop of his youth to more complex sounds. So think about these songs. Four top ten entries as a solo artist. You know, uh, Off the Wall, She's Out of My Life, and the chart-topping singles... Don't stop till you get enough and rock with you. I mean, unbelievable. Like the 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 musicianship, the writing, the lyricism, the the amazing melodies, and how we would perform all of these things uh, while dancing at such a high level. So I had forgotten the number of records that he was still doing as part of the Jackson Five. So he had in 1972. Got to be there, a solo debut by Michael Jackson, 1972, um, four weeks after the Jackson 5's greatest hits, because they already had greatest hits as of 1971. I'd forgotten all about Ben. So Ben is his second studio album, also in 1972. He's still a member of the band. Um, Music and Me, I don't recall that one as well. Um, and I don't really, yeah, I don't really know these songs particularly well. And then you have Forever Michael, which would have been the precursor 
Yeah, the album right before he broke. And I'm looking at all the the writing credits. And really, he has no writing credits on those records. However, when you get to Off the Wall, written Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, uh, Paul McCartney, uh, Stevie Wonder, um, all of it being produced by Quincy Jones. So he's now really officially taking control of his career, and he is the driving force behind the songs that he's recording. So in Off the Wall, that first breakthrough record, it's notable because the cover of the album is the first since he's had that first, you know, bit of nose work done, right? The first rhinoplasty. But he still very much looks like Michael Jackson. It's very subtle because obviously it was done as a correction to, you know, the nose break. So, hey, look, it's Michael Jackson. Doesn't even, you know, uh, it raises no eyebrows. Let's put it that way. So then, of course, the, the album that kind of got me thinking about, you know, doing this this episode. Oh, so very quickly. It's also notable the styles are changing as well. So we're going from the 1970s, right? So uh, a lot of young black men in the 70s, 60s and 70s, had afros. So it's the cover of Thriller that I think surprised so many people. So uh, his hair, you know, relaxer or uh, whatever. Um, yeah, it's relaxer, right? I was going to say that it was, um, oh, I was thinking that there's a brand and then it escapes me. Anyway, so not the Afro. And there's now more obvious changes to his face from off the wall. I mean, I think it's difficult to have a conversation about Michael Jackson without delving into these significant physical changes, because, you know, when when he begins to talk about things later on a little bit, when when the few moments that he'd be candid and kind of open up about the things that he experienced, particularly in childhood, that's when you really do get, I guess, this picture of a truly tragic figure. Now, it will also obviously be talking about in a little bit some some things that are inexcusable. They're inexcusable. And I think we're always looking for things to kind of explain away certain behaviors. So in no way, shape, or form am I defending some of the the later allegations that, that came out. Some would say it's not allegations, some would say that it's 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 fact, it's done deal. Um, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire kind of thing, and obviously lawsuits and settlements and all those kind of things. However, I'm I'm far from granting him, you know, clemency for the the actions. However, this is a severely traumatized human being, and um, that's what makes it all all the worse, really. Like all the things that came after, and you just wonder how much impulse control, like how he was able to function. And really, when you think about how it ended, it, it was an inability to function after a certain point. So, nevertheless, Thriller was released November 30th, 1982 on Epic Records, also produced by Quincy Jones. And Jackson said he wanted to create an album where every song was a killer. Like, he, he got it. He, he knew, 
Like he saw what he was able to do as a writer and and to work with someone like Quincy Jones that he's like, I can do this. I can do this. I have the ability to create my own music. I don't need to rely on other writers. I don't need to rely on my family. So it's curious here because everyone has hindsight 2020. To, to a certain extent, I'm doing the same thing, right? I, I'm looking at it through the lens of, of things that I know now. Thriller foreshadows the contradictory themes of Jackson's personal life as he began using a motif of paranoia and darker themes. Not to mention the fact that Paul McCartney is on the record with The Girl is Mine, and that was fraught with drama later on, in, in particular surrounding the Beatles' catalog. So Thriller became Jackson's first number one album, where it spent a record 37 consecutive weeks at number one, from February 26th, 1983 to April 14th, 1984, seven singles were released and they all reached the top 10, setting a record for the most top 10 singles from a singular album. I don't need to remind you, because anyone who's listening to this podcast, you know the age we're at. The Girl Is Mine, Billy Jean, Beat it. Want to be starting something. Human nature. PYT. And thriller. And beat it and Billie Jean. Both reached number one. So if that isn't enough. To already be. An icon. At this point. Right. Reaching the heights. Of his professional solo career after already having had a decade of a career with his brothers. Following Jackson's performance of Billie Jean in the Motown 25 television special, where he debuted his signature moonwalk dance, the sales of the album increased significantly, selling 1 million copies worldwide per week. Per week. So it's crazy to think that the video for Thriller, Thriller was the last single released. Unbelievable. And like I said, December 2nd, 1983, and it played regularly on MTV, which also increased the sales. Worldwide, 32 million copies. Thriller remains the best-selling album of all time with sales of 70 million copies worldwide. It is the second best album in the United States and was certified 34 times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America. It won a record-breaking eight Grammys at the 1984 Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year, while Beat It won Record of the Year. And Jackson also won a record-breaking eight American Music Awards uh, in 1984. The album has been a frequent inclusion on lists of the greatest albums of all time, and in 2008, it was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. In the same year, the Library of Congress added it to the National Recording Registry of Culturally, Historically, 
or aesthetically significant recordings. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to dispute a single bit of that. I mean, do you really know anyone who didn't have a copy of Thriller? I mean, everyone had a copy of Thriller. Everyone. Whether you had it on vinyl, which I had, my vinyl got ruined. Don't exactly remember how, but kind of a bummer. So here, he's reaching this major, both critical and commercial success. And the period saw him become deeply unhappy. And Jackson said, even at home, I'm lonely. I sit in my room sometimes and cry. It's so hard to make friends. I sometimes walk around the neighborhood at night, just hoping to find someone to talk to. But I end up just coming home. There's such a, a desperation in that, which I think you begin to see kind of the, the precursor to um, some of the behaviors that would come later. So I didn't realize the gap in between. However, thriller, massive thing. Really, that went from 1982 to 1984, like that whole cycle between, you know, release, the singles, the music videos, the touring, the awards, and, okay, going to take a break. So Michael doesn't release another record until the follow-up to Thriller, which was 1987's Bad. So again, now you have a different look from the last album. So you're starting to see this gradual change, right? So this is where, uh, you know, he's in his late 20s at this point, already, uh, you know, iconic. And, you know, he is looking different. You know, his skin tone is different. Uh, you know, there had been more work on his nose. He's growing his hair longer. So each and every record as he's going along, there's a different look. Now, this is common for artists because they don't always want to look the same. So every time they, you know, release a new record, there'd be something subtly different about the way that they look. And I think about, you know, in rock bands, they, you know, different guitars. Um, they do something different. Motley Crue, perfect example. Every record, there's a different look. There's a different theme. So that in and of itself is completely normal. It's just that Michael is, is also changing. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Literally, his face. That's that's a really crazy thing. It's a really crazy thing. And everyone's seeing it, yet at the same time, the music, his performance, his aura, it's just so massive that it overcomes all of that because he's such an amazing performer. So the album was written and recorded between 1987, uh, excuse me, 1985 and 1987. And Bad was the third and final collaboration between Jackson and Quincy Jones. Um, Jackson notably adopted an edgy look and sound with Bad, departing from his signature groove-based style and high-pitched vocals. Hmm. The album incorporates pop, rock, funk, R&B, dance, soul, and hard rock styles. Now, he's already done that before, right? I mean, he really has. I mean, beat it. He gets Eddie Van Halen. That's a rock song. It's a rock song, period. So whoever wrote this, uh, I'm not sure I exactly agree with your synopsis. But the lyrical themes include media bias, paranoia, racial profiling, romance, self-improvement, and world peace. It sold 300 and, excuse me, uh, it debuted at number one, uh, Billboard's top pop album charts, selling over 2.25 million copies in the first week in the United States. Nine songs from the album were released as official singles, and one as a promotional single. Seven charted in the top 20 of the U.S., including a a record-breaking five number ones, I Just Can't Stop Loving You, Bad, The Way You Make Me Feel, Man in the Mirror, and Dirty Diana, and the other ones that didn't quite make it, uh, Speed Demon, Leave Me Alone, and Smooth Criminal. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the album was also promoted with the film Moonwalker, which included the music videos of songs from the album. Speed Demon, Leave Me Alone, Man in the Mirror, and Smooth Criminal. Smooth Criminal, that is a jam. That is a jam. Such a good song. And I love Alien Ant Farm's version of it. It's so great. So I think that, you know, he did... Uh, a uh, song with Slash on this. So again, having a, a great guitar player, um, you know, 11 times platinum uh, at the time. I think it's sold more since then. And then, um, let's see here. Oh, great reviews and huge commercial success across the board. And some have said that this is the defining sound of late 80s pop, along with Madonna's Like a Prayer and Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814. I mean, again, hard to really debate that. Hard to debate that. So to me, this is probably the the last album for me where I was, you know, a Michael Jackson fan, you know? Not that I didn't continue to appreciate 
right? Com- completely appreciate his whole body of work. But that was the last time I was like, yeah, Michael, 1987, I'm in eighth grade. I'm starting to get more into, you know, the rock and metal and all that kind of stuff. And Michael's next record wasn't until 1991, which was uh, Dangerous. Now, Dangerous came out uh, November 26, 1991, uh, more than four years. So his gap between records is actually fairly large. And Dangerous is widely described as an R&B album in pop music with elements of New Jack Swing, a growing genre at the time, with elements of industrial funk, hip-hop, electronic, gospel, classical, and rock. Twelve of the album's 14 songs were written or co-written by Jackson, discussing topics like racism, poverty, and romance. Oh, this is when he jammed with Slash. That was on uh, Black and White, which was a number one single. Uh, The album produced four singles that reached the top ten, Remember the Time, In the Closet, Will You Be There, and the number one, Black or White, and the Dangerous World Tour grossed $100 million, uh, equivalent to $177 million adjusted for inflation, making it one of the highest grossing tours of the 90s, with the album being certified eight times platinum, with great reviews and all that. And then, like I said, I didn't really listen to it. It was cool that Slash was on there. Uh, History... Past, Present, and Future, book one, uh, the ninth album. Um, I can't say I remember anything off of this record, to be honest, which is crazy because, like, he's still touring like crazy. Um, Oh, interesting. Um, You Are Not Alone was the first song in history. Oh, I know that one. You Are Not Alone. Uh, First song in history, debut at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It was Jackson's final number one single on the charts. Though the album received generally positive reviews, the lyrics for They Don't Care About Us drew accusations of anti-Semitism. Jackson said they had been misinterpreted and replaced them on later pressings of the album. No clue. No clue. For all of the the scandals that he'd been involved with, I had never heard that before. Um, Let's see here. Controversy. Oh, I remember the line. I remember the line. I'm not even going to say it. I, I I remember it, though. Um, but then, then he says in the same song, right? Um, I am the Jew. I am the black man. I am the white man. I am not the one who was attacking. Oh, that's him uh, defending it. So he is a Jew, he is a black man, he is a white man. Okay. Um, but he was angry and outraged that he could be so misinterpreted. Um, I'm I'm waiting for I'm waiting for uh, Kanye to say the same. I'm mis- misinterpreted. Um, so then the final studio album by Michael Jackson is Invincible, released in 2001, that features appearances from Carlos Santana, the notorious B.I.G., and Slash once again. It incorporates R&B, pop, and soul. And similarly to Jackson's previous uh, material, the album explores themes such as love, romance, isolation, media criticism, and social issues. 
lead single, You Rock My World, top 10. Two more hit singles, or two more singles, Cry and Butterflies, and a promotional single, Speechless, with mixed reviews, and became Jackson's most, most critically derided albums. However, retrospectives have been more positive since then. Don't have much to say about this album. Um, but even then, I mean, totally sold, sold a ton of records. I mean, it was still multi-platinum because it's Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson could sell constantly, uh, no matter really what the, the material was. So this is the, the, the part of the pod where we've just gone through the albums, right? So I mentioned that 1991 was that dangerous record, which would have been the the last time I really listened to it. So in 1993, so it, it's not like we can avoid it, right? We have to we have to talk about it. In 1993, Jackson was accused of sexual abuse by a 13 year old boy, Jordan Chandler, and his father Evan Chandler. Jordan said he and Jackson had engaged in acts of kissing, masturbation, and oral sex. While Jordan's mother initially told police she did not believe Jackson had molested him, her position wavered after a few days. So it, it gets worse when, when you consider that, by his own admission, is that Michael was taking significant painkillers for reconstructive scalp surgery because of the, uh, the accident that he had had in 1984 where his hair caught on fire during the preparations for the music video, I think, recording uh, for the Victory Tour with the Jacksons. And that at this time, he had become dependent on painkillers, coupled with the stress of the sexual abuse allegations. So he'd canceled the remainder of the Dangerous Tour. And oddly enough, in all of this time, do you remember this? The King of Pop married the daughter of the King of Rock and Roll, Lisa Marie Presley. He proposed to her over the phone, by the way, and they married in La Vega, Dominion, Dominion, uh, excuse me, Dominican Republic in May 1994. Ah, I don't know how that happened. I, you know, I, I don't know the situation. I, I think that sometimes... And again, I'm just speculating, hey, we have a really negative story. Let's do something out of the box. I know I'll marry Lisa Marie Presley. I I don't know. I can't say for certain. What are the motivations of, of very famous and very powerful, and very rich and very strange people? I don't know. So he was married again. So uh, let's see. When did the... Uh, the marriage dissolved in 95, so the, that didn't last long. And then he got married again to, is that Debbie Rowe? Yeah. So during the tour in Sydney, Australia, Jackson married Debbie Rowe, a dermatology assistant who was six months pregnant with his child. So, uh, Michael Joseph Jackson was born on February 13th, 1997. His sister, Paris Michael Catherine Jackson, was born April 3rd, 1998. And where's Blanket? 
Yes, because his youngest is named Blankets. That's not his official name. Um, let's see. Children. Children. Um, let's see. Um, Paris. Michael. And... Oh, it just says Blanket. It just says Blanket. Um, I don't know. I'm sure I could I could look it up. Uh, oh, yeah. So the boys are named Michael Joseph Jackson Jr., nicknamed Prince, and one younger half-brother, Prince Michael Jackson II. That's Blanket. Um, I don't know. It's all very, very confusing, and this is where it just got really weird because if you remember... You know, kind of jumping over uh, all over the place at this point, but that's when he dangled, I think it was Blanket, over the railing of his hotel room because the crowd wanted to see the baby, right? So, yeah. Then uh, about a decade later, you had the second child abuse allegation, but ultimately he was acquitted. They said there was a lack of evidence, but after... The trial, the second trial, uh, he became more and more reclusive. So the final years, the final years of Michael, I mean, that's such a ominous way of, of kind of putting it, but it, it really is, is the truth. Um, you know, he had at this point significant financial issues. He was not thrifty and he didn't necessarily have the right kind of assets. In April 2006, Jackson agreed to use a piece of his ATV catalog stake, then worth about $1 billion, as collateral against his $270 million worth of loans from Bank of America. Bank of America sold those loans to Fortress, Fortress Investments, an investment company that buys distressed loans. And as part of the agreement, Fortress Investments provided Jackson a new loan of $300 million with reduced interest payments, equivalent to 403 and change in 2021. Sony Music would have the option to buy half of a stake or about 25% of the catalog at a set price. So Michael had to then, uh, his financial managers urged him to shed part of his stake to avoid bankruptcy. The main house at Neverland Ranch, we didn't even talk about Neverland Ranch with its own, you know, uh, roller coaster and, of course, the exotic animals, like all of that. But the main house at Neverland Ranch was closed as a cost-cutting measure while Jackson lived in Bahrain at the hospitality of Sheikh Abdullah, the ruler's son. At least 30 of Jackson's employees had not been paid on time and were owed $306,000 in back wages. Jackson was then ordered to pay $100,000 in penalties. So really, you have a situation where you're seeing the spiral and decline of a human being who has been in the public eye his whole life, has never had any normalcy, like not even for a moment, maybe when he was really, really little, 
before they began performing? All of this has added up the painkiller addiction from admittedly some very gruesome accidents, also significant reconstruction of his face, not by accident, but by design. And you have these amazing, uh, just a, a significant level of stress and people who are reliant upon you and dependent upon you, not just as kids, but all these people who work for the Michael Jackson organization, which is why so many bands at this point and artists have incorporated the band. Journey's a perfect example. They have a corporation. They have a board. They do that purposely so that they're actually protecting the interests of everyone involved because every time a band goes on tour, there are so many people. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That are involved in that process. Those are employees. And they're not even full-time employees because a tour could last, you know, one to two years. But then all of those people then have to find other tours. So oftentimes they work for very specific artists who kind of have a, a rotation as far as when they tour. So again, that album touring cycle is very important for the music industry because people who are riggers and sound people and you know just everything that goes along with a tour, they rely on the artists to be successful. So Michael was really actually responsible for the livelihoods of hundreds of people. So on June 25th, on June 25th, 2009, while getting ready for what would be his final performances, Michael Jackson died of acute propofol and benzodiazepine intoxication at his home in North Carrollwood Drive in the Holmby Hills neighborhood in Los Angeles, California. His physician, Conrad Murray, said that he found Jackson in his room not breathing and with a weak pulse and administered CPR to no avail. However, the coroner concluded that Jackson's death was a homicide. Jackson had been administered propofol an anti-anxiety, uh, benzodiazepine, lorazepam, and midazolam by the doctor. So Dr. Murray was convicted of involuntary manslaughter in November of 2011 and was released after two years. Now, one of the things that the doctor said, and I think the reason that it ended up being downgraded to involuntary manslaughter, is that because of Michael's drug abuse, he had a significantly higher tolerance for the drugs that were in his system. And, you know, it says here, 
He administered flumazenil, a drug used to counteract sedative overdose, which he kept on hand. Kept on hand. So it was known that the amount of drugs that Michael was using on a regular basis was significant enough to potentially put him in an overdose situation. So I think whenever I hear about the story of, of Michael Jackson in his final days, I, I think it's actually, um, it kind of goes along with the physical changes. So, uh, I mean, it is possible, I, I believe it's, is it, um, uh, you know, Michael said that he had vitiligo, right, which affected his skin. So therefore he used you know, various different techniques to blend out his skin so he wouldn't be patchy. Because with vitiligo, you could have like large sections that are are white versus, you know, the rest of, because I guess the melanin actually, you know, it goes away. So you have all these different skin tones. So obviously he is a, a huge performer. He did this process to balance it all out. Whether that's true or not, who knows? But when you look at it, from all of the significant changes that was faced, as you, you probably heard, at one point, a section of his nose fell off. Fell off. You could see that the tip of his nose appeared to be gangrenous. That's awful. Because, to me, it seems that no one ever told him no. Because he was so wealthy, he was so famous, but I'm sure there was a certain cachet to say, I'm Michael Jackson's physician. I'm Michael Jackson's plastic surgeon. I'm his doctor. I'm his whatever. So instead of going ahead and getting him help, you have a doctor who's basically one of these, you know, these pain doctors, who's just going ahead and writing the scripts. How about getting him help? Now you can say, well, he has to want to get the help. For all of his success, for all of his ability, he's proven time and time again to be very, very weak. This is not a person who... How do I put it? I think he was very easily swayed, but also gave in to these impulses. So, drug addiction, plastic surgery addiction, maybe a, a really extreme form of dysmorphia that went along with it. Allegations of sexual abuse. All of those things strike me as being very much related. It's impulses, it's addiction, it's the inability to, to control these things because no one's telling you no. And he didn't have, I think, never met the man. This is all just from what you read and what you've heard over all these years. He didn't have this fortitude with things in his personal life. Exceptionally strong and, and powerful and took ownership of his career. Those are really 
powerful things that he did for himself. He had to leave the family unit for his own health. And he did that successfully. And I'm going to control my career. I'm going to write my music. I'm going to do that. That shows this confidence, this confidence in his ability. And to see where it led is just so tragic. I know I said that a number of times. Just every record. And you saw the changes in him. When you had all these allegations. And I think most people kind of believed it right away. Because of everything that we'd heard. But but here's the last piece from the coroner's report. Which is why it was labeled as a uh, homicide. But... Um, Mm. Wow. Uh, the autopsy report, report revealed that Jackson was otherwise healthy for his age and that his heart was strong. His most significant health problem was that his, lung, his lungs were chronically inflamed, but this did not contribute to his death. His other major organs were normal, and he had no atherosclerosis of, except for slight plaque accumulation in the arteries in his legs. And the Associated Press stated that his weight was in the acceptable range. So the only thing that you come back to is you have a combined drug intoxication with anesthetic propofol, aniolytic lorazepam, and less significant drugs, including midazolam, diazepam, lidocaine, ephedrine, um, and multiple others. I mean, just awful. And this is under the care of a doctor who just kept giving him more and more and more. So Michael Jackson's manager or video producer, Mark Schaefel, Jackson's former video producer, said that the singer used the propofol, alprazolam, sertraline, an antidepressant, omeprazole, hydrocodone, paroxetine, carisoprodol, and hydromorphone, and that they found several other drugs in his home, and that he was taking up to 40 alprazolam pills a night. I mean, this guy, oh my gosh, he suspected that one of the major factors causing some symptoms was the excessive use of steroids or other skin whitening medications, plus stimulants to keep him going from demanding performances. Good grief. The DEA focused on at least five doctors who prescribed drugs to Jackson, trying to determine whether they had a face-to-face -face relationship with him or whether they had made legally required diagnoses. At least nine doctors were under investigation, and the police wanted to question an additional 30 doctors, nurses, and pharmacists because people were just giving him stuff. Um, pharmacist occasionally had given Jackson pethidine to sedate him, but administered nothing stronger and that he turned his records over for uh, medical examination. Oh, boy. So Michael Jackson... Debuts in the public eye 
1964. And they are a hit right out of the gate. Grows into his teens and 20s as a massive superstar. Faced with terrible circumstances behind the scenes. Goes on to become the top-selling solo artist ever to, to becoming truly a worldwide icon while still alive. It's not just the, you know, looking back. You know, they talk about all the great artists, you know, they're never appreciated until after they're gone. This guy was absolutely celebrated during his lifetime, which I'm sure led to, to so much of the pressure. He married a Presley. He had these three kids, which everyone speculates whether they're his or, or they weren't. But at the end of the day, this was a tremendously talented and exceptionally broken individual. And it, it demonstrates how, despite success and fame, and all the things that go along with it, this guy was stuck, stuck being a little kid. He was never able to actually grow normally. Stunted growth mentally and emotionally to the point where he was dependent on all these drugs who probably got himself into situations, particularly surrounding himself with children, which may have been completely benign. It may have been because of his stunted growth that he related better to children. But to die at the age of 50 years old. I mean, I'm 48. I'm, I'm very, very close to that. To think that he's this worldwide star and gone at 50. I can't imagine where he'd be now. I mean, to think that's 2009. Was that 13 years ago? Something like that? Anyway, I had to do this episode on Michael Jackson. You know, he popped to the forefront of my mind. An icon of early MTV. Uh, a, a innovator in dance in music, in video, in concert performance, in in touring, exploring other media, alternate media. Uh, you know, at, at one point before he lost, you know, so much of his money, he was, you know, investing in and in buying musical catalogs like the Beatles, for example, uh, knowing the, the power of publishing. Uh, he had so much going for him. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like Michael Jackson was able to see all that he had going for him. He was just a traumatized little kid. Anyway, Michael, I hope you have found peace in death that you could not be granted in life. That is somewhat of a uh, a quote from, from Dust Till Dawn, written by Quentin Tarantino, uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez. George Clooney's first real starring role. But anyway. And I hope that his kids, I hope his kids are doing okay. It seems like, you know, Paris has done a, a couple of interesting things. Oddly enough, she was in a Steel Panther video. 
I hope they're doing okay. And I hope the family, you know, they're human beings at the end of the day, regardless of the fact that they're, they're, they're famous or they're rich or they're wealthy or they have power. They're, they're human beings. I think, unless you get into conspiracy theories, I don't know, maybe they're lizards or something. But that's my little dive into the king of pop, Michael Joseph Jackson, and may he rest in peace. <sighs> just really too bad. Really, really too bad. I just remember being such a huge fan. Like, this was the guy. I, I listened to that Thriller record over and over and over again. And like he said, every song was absolutely a killer. So that brings this episode to a close. So tell me, what are your recollections of Michael Jackson? Icon? Hero? Villain? Please let me know. How can you let me know? Well, you can follow me at StuckPodX on Twitter, Instagram, and over at the YouTube channel. You can go over to the Facebook page, Stuck in the Middle, a Gen X podcast. You can email me at StuckInTheMiddlePod at Yahoo.com. Most importantly, please leave five-star reviews, leave comments, write comments in, in any of the social media platforms, and uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You've got to subscribe. It helps the show to grow. And I'd really appreciate if you can go ahead and if you're enjoying the show, let some people know about it. So until next time. Later, Slackers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs>